You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. I am really excited because these next two weeks, we are going to be going through the first part of the Sermon on the Mount as we move towards Easter. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. We're going to today and next Sunday going to be looking at the blessed statements that Jesus made to his disciples and those that were listening. Uh, We're going to be looking at these statements and unpacking them for us as we get ready for Easter, as we prepare our hearts and minds for celebrating the resurrection of Christ and remembering his crucifixion. Oftentimes, if we're not careful when it comes to Christianity and being saved or asking Jesus into our heart, whatever we want, whatever label and description we want to throw on that, if we're not careful, we can believe that now that I'm saved, now that I'm a follower of Jesus, now that I'm a believer in Jesus, I can now live however I want. Well, Jesus has forgiven my sins, so therefore I can keep on sinning. I can keep doing whatever it is that I want to do, and then we treat our salvation. Now, if we have that belief, I do not, based on our series for the last three months, based on Scripture, that person that believes that is not scripturally a true Christian, because we saw in 1 John, a person that is a believer does not make a habit of sin. But if we are not careful, if we treat salvation like that, that I am saved, now I can live however I want to live, I can do whatever I want, first of all, we cheapen the sacrifice of Christ. We make the crucifixion that Jesus went through, we make it cheap. But second of all, when we treat salvation in a relationship with Jesus like that, we are essentially saying that salvation is nothing more than a get-out-of-hell-free card. Well, here on the Sermon on the Mount, now this is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is not called the Suggestion on the Mount or some chicken soup for the soul on the Mount. This is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus saying, this is how as believers, as followers of God, as members of the kingdom of God, this is how we are supposed to live. Now, a lot of these statements that we're going to see here in the Beatitudes, these are very counterculture. We're going to see what it, what it means, and when we look at this, it's going to be very against what our culture says. There's going to be some phrases and some statements here that as we unpack them and consider them together as a faith family, they're going to make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. Because the Beatitudes, these blessed statements that Jesus makes, these are, this is the mirror, a picture of a true follower of Christ. Now, Jesus, it says in verse 1, let's start there. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying... Now, I want you to envision there this for a minute. When Jesus saw the crowds, a multitude of people... He goes up on a hillside on a mountain. Now, you can go to the Holy Land. You can go to Israel and see where they believe this happened. There's a church there, and you can go and see this. Like, I really want... I was talking to someone. They're going to the Holy Land this fall, and they're telling me all about their trip. I really want to go to the Holy Land. I, I think that's one thing that if we could just take a field trip as a church and go to Israel, if there's a donor that would like to do that, uh, that would be much appreciated to take all of us together to go to the Holy Land and we could see this. So Jesus here, he's with his crowds, and then his disciples come to him. See, within that crowd, you have the disciples, the followers of Jesus that they've given their lives to follow Jesus. Then you had those that followed Jesus, but they weren't on the inner circle. They were on the inner circle of the 12. And then you just had those in this crowd that were there to see the show. Some people treated Jesus no more than just like a traveling circus. They wanted to see the show. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to be entertained. You had those that were skeptical of what Jesus that were, was going to teach. And then you had those that were religious but that we're hoping he would say something to trap himself. So the disciples come in, and Jesus begins to teach them, and here is what Jesus says. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And that's where we're going to stop, and we're going to pick this up uh, in verse 9 and next week. But as we go through the Beatitudes, they're kind of set up in quads, here. We're going to go through the first two quads this morning. But the first thing that when we walk through this passage, first of all, we need to define this word blessed. Because if we do not define and understand this word blessed, we're going to get off the rails really, really fast. So we need to understand this word blessed. You may be sitting there and say, Adam, why are you pronouncing this blessed and not blessed? Well, this word blessed means happy. Now, we're going to need to talk about this for just a second because blessed, when it means happy, this doesn't mean that if we have these things in our lives that all our wildest dreams are going to come true. Because if we're not careful, we could take this passage off the rails and it can become very close to prosperity gospel. And there's those that are on TV that would love to walk us through this passage like that. This word blessed means happy. Now, it's interesting here that it's, this word blessed, it does not mean blessed when your life is going well for you. We do not see this happiness comes from our circumstances. 
This happiness comes from, it is a joy that can only come from God. Because we're going to talk through, as we walk through this passage, we're going to talk about those who are mourning, those that are poor in spirit, these that are going through tragedy. And so even amongst tragedy, we're not supposed to be happy or have some false sense of joy. It's no, a joy and satisfaction that can only come from God. That's what blessed means. So as we walk through these blessed statements, we are talking about people, God's people, those that have have gone that are in relationship with God through Christ and their joy and their satisfactions only found in Jesus in in God, only found in a relationship with Christ. So let's be sure that we understand what blessed means. All right, let's start let's start with verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, what does this mean? Blessed are the poor in spirit. One of the things we see throughout the scriptures is those that have a humble heart, those who are lowly and know they are need, those who know they are spiritually bankrupt outside of God. They then experience God's grace and mercy in their life. So here's what this means, the poor in spirit. It means an understanding that I am spiritually bankrupt. I am poor spiritually. You are poor spiritually. We're all in this together. We're all in the same boat. We are poor in spirit. We are spiritually spiritually bankrupt. Just like a person who may be financially bankrupt, they would be then poor. Poor in spirit are those that understand that outside of God, they are spiritually bankrupt. One of the first steps to coming into a relationship, a saving relationship with God, is the understanding that you and I are spiritually bankrupt. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, there is no one that does good. No, not one. We are not capable of being good. We are spiritually bankrupt. Even the old hymn, Amazing Grace, talks about that spiritual bankruptcy that we all find ourselves in. It says, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? Wretch. Have you ever been called a wretch before? I mean, what a derogatory, what a terrible thing to call someone a wretch. But John Newton, when he writes Amazing Grace, he wrote, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Now, what is Newton talking about here? What does wretch mean? Because we don't use that word wretched anymore. What does it mean to be a wretch? It's an unfortunate or unhappy person. It's a poor creature. We could say it's a poor soul, a poor thing, or really what it means when it comes down to spirituality for you and I, a despicable or contemptible person. If you want to make friends, I suggest you don't call them a wretch. So we are a wretch spiritually. We are all spiritually bankrupt outside of God. And so that takes humility to understand that. We don't like to hear that we're a wretch. 
that were spiritually bankrupt. That's offensive even to say in our culture today. But that's humility. That takes humility to understand that we are spiritually bankrupt. But when we understand that we are spiritually bankrupt, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of God is theirs. This understanding of spiritual bankruptcy leads us to experiencing God in a unique and beautiful way. Because when we acknowledge our spiritual bankruptcy, God offers us much spiritual wealth. And as we believe in Christ and we understand the gospel, we are then led to experiencing God in a unique and beautiful way. But it starts with understanding that we are poor in spirit. Jesus goes on to say in verse 4, Blessed are those that mourn. Grief is a natural human emotion. Now, a lot of us handle grief in a lot of different ways. Some of us are very open in our grief. We're a very emotional people. And when we grieve, we show it, we let it be known. That's good. That's okay. Some of us, like I tend to be, bury our emotions in our grief. That can be healthy, but sometimes unhealthy. So all of us are uniquely created by God in our grief when we grieve. But when we're talking about blessed are those that mourn, those who mourn because of economic injustice or personal sorrow have God's ear. If you are right now mourning because of some kind of personal sorrow, you have God's ear. That is the great compassion of God. Hold your finger here in Matthew chapter 5. I want to give you another example in Scripture of God, God's people having His ear because of their personal sorrow. So turn over to Exodus chapter 3. This is the famous story of Moses and the burning bush. If you're not familiar with that story, God's people Israel were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And God calls Moses out to lead his people out of bondage and slavery into freedom. God did this in a very unique way. He didn't write something in the sky. He didn't come to Moses in a dream. How did he communicate this call of God on, his, on, the, on the life of Moses? He came to him in a burning bush. Isn't God creative in how he calls people? He comes to Moses in a burning bush. And he calls to Moses out of the burning bush. And God is going to tell Moses, I want you to lead my people out of bondage, out of slavery, out of Egypt. And in that, we see Moses is a picture of Christ. 
Moses is a picture of Christ because Jesus came. He's the better Moses, and Jesus comes and leads us out of slavery and bondage. So a lot of time, these Old Testament characters, though they're really screwed up people, God uses them to show us what Jesus was going to be like. And so God calls Moses to lead his people out of bondage, and he says this, verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to to look, God called out to him, Moses, from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Now, if God was talking to you out of a burning bush, I think you would hide your face too. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. So there... In Egypt, God's people, Israel, they're in slavery for 400 years. They're going through economic injustice and personal sorrow, and they cry out to God. And what does God tell Moses? I have heard their cry. So back here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4, when Jesus says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Those who mourn because of personal sorrow have God's ear. God hears you. He knows your suffering. He knows your crying out. And He hears you. He knows your suffering. The prophet Isaiah, when he was prophesying about the coming Messiah, he says, surely he has borne our griefs and knows our sufferings. God is a God that knows mourning, that knows suffering. And Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn they will be comforted. And so within the, my faith family that I look out on this morning, I know there are those of you who have lost a spouse in the last year. I know there are many of us in this room that have lost loved ones over the years, and we are still mourning. We are still grieving. So let's take that promise to the bank that when we cry out to God in our mourning and in our personal sorrow, He hears us. And that's comforting. I've told you this before, a mentor of mine, James Long, who I served with with in Birmingham, he was so good. James was so good at dealing with mourning, with people that were mourning. Mary Lane has been a hospital chaplain dealing with people, those who are mourning. And one thing I've learned from Mary Lane and from James is that there is a ministry of presence. Have you ever 
been around someone that's mourning and you just don't know what to say, you're afraid of saying something insensitive, or you ever been there before? I'm there more times than I want to be. There's a ministry of presence. And what is that ministry of presence? That's listening. That's hearing. Not saying anything, but just listening and hearing. And so when we mourn and when we cry out to God in our personal sorrow, we have that ministry of presence with God. He hears us. Some of the best things when we're mourning is just having someone to listen and know that they're hearing our sorrow. Not that they are know what we're going through, but that they're hearing us. They're listening to us. They're there with us, and we have the best counselor, the best comforter in God because he hears our cries. And so as we grieve and we cry out to God, though I may not know what your grief and your sorrows like, and you may not know what my grief and sorrow is like, we have a God that we can cry out to in our personal sorrow and know that we will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Then verse 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the humble, as the Christian Standard Bible says. I like the ESV says it a little bit better. It says, Blessed are the meek. What does it mean to be meek? Sometimes when we think of meek, we think of like cowardly, right? Like the cowardly lion in the Wizard of Oz. And we think of that as meekness. Like in our culture, this is one of these countercultural statements that Jesus makes, both in our culture today and our culture then. Because when Jesus was teaching this, what was going on in the world in that day? Who was the dominant ruler of the day? It was Rome. It was the Roman Empire. And strength and power was all what Rome was about. It was about conquering people and taking over lands and flexing your muscles as an empire. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the meek, people would have said, what in the world are you talking about? And here, 2,000 years later, it hasn't changed at all, has it? Because it's not about meekness in our culture. It's about being the loudest, being the most obnoxious, who can send out the most tweets in all caps, who can make the most outrageous statements in the, uh, in the news, I mean, we live in an outrageous society that has no clue about meekness. But Jesus says, my people are defined by humbleness, by meekness. And Jesus is talking about a spiritual strength of meekness, of quietness, of humbleness. 
But as we talk about humbleness or meekness here, we have to understand what drives that meekness. Because what drives our meekness as God's people are those that have been saved by faith alone in Jesus Christ. We should be the most meek people on the planet. We are not going to have any pretension, no air about us. Why? Because as a Christian, when it comes to our salvation, what did you do for your salvation? We got saved. But we didn't save ourselves. We didn't do that. Who did that? Jesus did. Jesus came as God from the glories of heaven, as God in the flesh. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live because we're spiritually bankrupt and we're wretched. He died the death that earned our salvation and then rose again to show his dominance over sin and death. So when it comes to purchasing our salvation, what did you do? Nothing. What did I do for my salvation? Nothing. Because in Ephesians 2, it says, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead things don't do anything. So we are dead we can't do anything. And so by a miracle of God, by the grace of God and the love of God through the sacrifice of Christ, our salvation has been earned. And so we should have no pretension about ourselves. But sometimes we act like in our relationship with God, that I'm in a relationship with God, I'm doing him some kind of favor. That God needs me. God loved me. And God did all this for me. And we create this spiritual pride and pretension in ourselves. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the meek. In my limited experience in ministry of the last eight to nine years, the people that I've had the most respect for are those that are meek, that have that quiet strength. As we think of Bob Gibbs, and Bob will kill me at the end of the service for saying this, but I think this attributes to his meekness. One of those people's Bob Gibbs, that meekness, that humbleness. Blessed are the humble or meek, for they will inherit the earth. Let's keep going. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. What does this mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? God, at his core being, is holy. He is righteous. He's perfect. He's sinless. So when Jesus says here in Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what this means is those who crave the things of God, or really, they crave God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hold your finger here and, and look at Psalm 63. David writes in Psalm 63, here's a guy that hungered and thirsted for righteousness, though he was at times in his life a pretty unrighteous dude, a murderer and an adulterer. 
But David writes in Psalm 63, verse 1, when we're talking about hungering and thirsting for righteousness, craving the things of God, craving God, it says, verse 1, David writes, God, you are my God. I eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry and desolate and without water. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. My lips will glorify you because of your faithful love is better than life. So I will bless you as long as I live. At your name, I will lift up my hands. You richly satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I love what David says, you have richly satisfied me like rich food. I love Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving, there's really no pressure except for the person cooking, I guess. There's no ever pressure on me. I'll say that for Thanksgiving. <laughs> I just consume but why do we like Thanksgiving? Like, Thanksgiving's better than Christmas, okay? Let me just call it like it is. Christmas is just out of control, right? We have all this pressure. There's all this stuff going on. We have to buy these things. Thanksgiving's better. Why? Because we just eat and watch football. And so, that, like, we, we, we eat Thanksgiving dinner. So when I think about satisfaction, I think you eat that turkey and the dressing and the mashed potatoes and all the sides. You eat all of that. And what are you satisfied or almost sick. And so David says in Psalm 63, you have richly, you've richly blessed me. You satisfy me as with rich food. It's like that person putting on their stretchy pants, backing off the table from Thanksgiving dinner, and you are full and you are satisfied. So David says, God, you are my God. I err eagerly seek you. I thirst for you. My body faints for you. So back in Matthew 5, when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, for they will be filled. If you hunger and thirst for God and pursuing God, you will be filled. Filled, we can take it to the bank. The problem is when we go through those dry and those desolate times where God seems like He's a million miles away, what's changed? Us or God? We have. Because when God feels like He's a million miles away, we've tried to satisfy ourselves with something else than God. And we try to fill our lives with something that can satisfy us, and it might even give us temporary satisfaction. But at the end of the day, if it's something other than God, it will leave us empty with nothing and making us feel dry and thirsty. Jesus, or David also said in Psalm, he said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, taste God. Now, obviously not literally, but David is telling, he's saying, just try it. Taste it. Try it. 
pursue God, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, this went against the culture of the day 2,000 years ago, and this goes against the culture today. Because mercy can be a sign of weakness in our culture, and in the Roman Empire, that would have been a sign of weakness. The Roman Empire was not a merciful empire. I mean, if you even showed the hint of rebellion against Caesar, it was off with your head, or worse. They were not merciful. But Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will will be shown mercy. So when we talk about mercy, we're talking about those that have compassion for the unfortunate. So as God's people, we are to show mercy for those that are less fortunate. And when we show that mercy for those that that are less fortunate than ourselves, it is an act of worship. Because again, if we're spiritually bankrupt and we are a wretch, God showed us compassion because we were a very unfortunate people when it comes to our spiritual lives. And so God has exhibited so much mercy to us and shown us so much compassion on us, that a natural byproduct of that would be for us to show mercy. Then verse 8, and this is where we close. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. You want to see God? You want to understand God? Purity of heart is where it's at. Jesus is describing those that are honest, sincere, live a life of integrity, and then through that, they truly live a life of worship. And so if we want to see God, we must have God's heart As believers, going back to this idea that I said at the beginning, when we are, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we don't get to live however we want to. We are called to live in a life of purity, a life of pure in heart. Because when our hearts are clouded by sin and when our lives are full of rebellion towards God, it clouds our view of God. Just like when clouds roll in from a storm and cover the sun, so does sin in our lives to where there is, there is separation from God. And so if we want to see God, experience, experience God, be walking in step with God, we must have purity of heart. For they will see God. So Jesus says, He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, 
for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you for this Sermon on the Mount, these beatitudes you've given us, these blessed statements. Jesus, I pray that you would help us to live in this way. Jesus, we acknowledge that this is how you lived. And so I pray that you would help us to live a life of worship by exhibiting this in our lives, not through our own willpower or pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps, but only through the Holy Spirit that resides in us, that changes us and makes us more like you. Change us to be like you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.